can be translated sometimes with emotion and passion. We can be very excited about games and sporting events and concerts. And I remember reading about one woman one time she said she sat close to the stage and Garth Brooks sweated on her. And she was ecstatic about that. And I'm like, what? But anyhow, we can sing about our Savior. He is alive. Would you stand with me, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll just read two verses. And uh, our Easter message this morning, the resurrection and its effect on us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Heavenly Father, we have sought to honor you in song. We've sought to worship you. May our hearts and our minds be drawn to you this morning. Whatever things that are going on outside of what's happening right now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to clear that out of the way so that we can hear from you. Lord, we desperately need you. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your strength. And Lord, as we gather here today to celebrate your resurrection Lord, we thank you. We love you. We adore you. I pray right now that you would just work in and through us. Speak to us. Lord, you know and I know and everyone knows I can't do this without you. I bow before you and ask you for your grace, your mercy and your strength. And Father, I do pray if there's one that's come into our service this morning and he or she has never been saved, they've never repented of their sins and believed in you, I pray today would be the day that the conviction of the Holy Spirit falls upon that one and he or she responds for your glory. Change us, O God. May we leave with a greater love and devotion to you. And may we just bask in your glory again we love you in jesus name we pray and amen amen Amen. thank you You may be seated the resurrection of jesus christ means everything it's not just an important doctrine it is one of the most important doctrines if there were no resurrection of jesus then his death would not mean anything he would be no different than any martyr that has died for any other cause. Dr. Adrian Rogers says this, the resurrection is not merely an important, important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It is the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. Dr. Henry Morris says this, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did not take place, then Christ, if it did take place, excuse me, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. 
And we stand on that last statement, that it is absolutely truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is truth. Jesus did arise from the dead, and that is what we celebrate. In our text, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to quickly bring you up through the chapter so you know what the Apostle Paul is doing. He lays out undisputable defense of the resurrection and its implications as well as our response. In verses 1 through 4, Paul declares the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He declares it and he defends the gospel by declaring it. In verses 5 through 10, Paul then gives us the fact of the resurrection. He tells us that Peter and the twelve saw the resurrected Christ. He tells us that over 500 people at one time saw Jesus Christ. He tells us that James and all the other apostles saw Christ and then he himself The Apostle Paul was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. That's more than enough evidence to establish a fact. The resurrection is a fact. In verses 12 through 19, Paul gives us the implications if the resurrection were not true. If the resurrection did not happen, then Christ was not resurrected. Our preaching would be empty and useless. It would be meaningless. Our faith would be empty it would be in nothing because it's, there's no foundation for it. If there were no resurrection, we would all be false witnesses. And the worst part of it all, we would still be in our sins. But Paul in verse 20 de- declares emphatically that Christ has risen from the dead. In 21 through 56, Paul describes our resurrection, our bodily resurrection and the process that will take place. And that brings us to where we are. We all know about the resurrection. We all celebrate the resurrection. I was reading this morning, carefully just looking over um, Facebook, just kind of perusing through there, and all of the people that were posting Scripture about the resurrection, I mean post after post after post about the resurrection, I'm thinking, this is wonderful. What if we Christians did that every day? Why don't we just do it on Resurrection Sunday? Do you know that you celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when you go to church? You are celebrating. That's why we worship on Sunday, because of the resurrection. And so I was thinking and reading this. Everyone knows about the resurrection. Uh, Someone has called it it is prom for church because that's when everybody dresses up, right? I remember why I hate these ties so much now after wearing it just for a little bit. And we, we all know about the resurrection, but what are the implications on my life daily? How has the resurrection changed my life daily? Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and they believe weird things. They do weird things. They don't even act like Christians. But if the resurrection is true, and we in fact believe it, and I believe you do or you wouldn't be here, then we would want to know the implications in our life. How does this affect my daily living? How is this going to get me through a boss I can't stand on Monday? How is this going to get me through that doctor's appointment when um, you know I'm getting bad news? 
The Bible refers to the resurrection as the hope of all mankind. In verse 57, Paul tells us, listen, we have victory through Jesus Christ. Victory. Everybody likes to win, right? I've never met someone that wants to be on a losing team. Now, if you are a Cincinnati Reds fan, (laughs) just get used to it. We're used to it. Hallelujah. And we still like them, but anyways. But the point I want to make is I've never seen anyone say, you know what, I think I'm going to choose this team because this team loses and I want to be on a losing team. I mean, we, we're, we're so competitive. When, Anna was in, when Amy was in the hospital have, delivering Anna, it was on National Girl Scout Day. And we wanted to be the first girl, we wanted to have the first girl born on Girl Scout Day. And so we were racing the people across the hallway. I don't remember Google back then, but if I'd had a Google, I'd be like, how can we get this baby out here quickly to win? Because we won, and by the way, we did win. And we were in the newspaper, believe it or not. And she got a lifetime membership to the Girl Scouts. But ironically, they never brought us any cookies. But anyhow, the point I want to make is we're all competitive. We are all competitive. And we all want victory. And the Apostle Paul, after laying out this wonderful defense, this wonderful declaration about the resurrection of Christ, he says, listen, the resurrection of Christ has given you victory. Victory. What has he given us victory over? What has he conquered? He has given us victory over death. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now you say, well, all kinds of people have died. Yeah, they died, but they have, their soul's gone to be with the Lord and they live eternally with Him. They live eternally with Him. See, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born again, if you're born twice, you only have to die once. Poor old Lazarus had to come back and then he had to do all that over again. Paul says we have this victory and based on the resurrection and the victory we have through Jesus Christ, he tells us three things that we should do. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the resurrection should motivate you, should inspire these three things in your life. Number one, he tells us, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be steadfast. In the Greek, this word has the implication of sitting or being sedentary. But it means so much more. If you would read the free online dictionary, it defines steadfast as firmly loyal, constant, The New Living Translation translates the word, be strong. So what are we firmly loyal to? What are we strong towards? We're strong towards the gospel. We're strong towards the doctrine of the resurrection. We say that the resurrection has changed our lives, and we back it up with our our immense loyalty, our firmly loyal, constant devotion to Christ. 
Many people devote themselves to many different things. But there's nothing more noble than devoting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and His service. Men and women throughout every generation have forsaken everything they've had so that they could be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women today serving on the foreign mission field, they've sacrificed, they've sold their home and all their goods so they can move halfway around the world and share the gospel with lost men and women, boys and girls. You see, what the church needs is we need to come to the realization that we have victory through Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection, we are victorious. And because we are victorious, we need to be steadfast. We need to be firmly loyal to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that we define the gospel as the Scripture defines the gospel. It means that we defend the gospel as the Scripture defends the gospel. It means we declare the gospel as the Scripture declares the gospel. Now listen to me. The day that we live in today, when you see someone like this, you think, man, they're, they're out of their mind. They're, they're out of their mind. This is extreme Christianity. This is not extreme Christianity. This is Christianity 101. What's happened is the culture has so conditioned the church that we need to be like the world so that we can win the world and we've lost our saltiness and we've moved away from that steadfast loyalty to Christ that means He comes above anyone else, anything else. And so we've moved away from that so now we just say, oh, they're just Bible thumpers. They're just extreme. They're, they're legalists. No, they're devoted. They're devoted to Jesus Christ because they understand the implications of the resurrection of Christ. And let me just tell you this. There's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It will happen. And all the people that think it's a big joke today, all the people that think it's nothing to be devoted to, when they stand before the risen Christ, their attitude will definitely change. If you believe in the resurrection, you ought to be steadfast. If I believe in the resurrection, I ought to be steadfast. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands that we be firmly loyal and strong towards the gospel. Peter told Jesus, he said, listen, if everyone forsakes you, I won't, I'll be with you. Jesus says, Peter, really? By the time the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Of course, Peter swore and he didn't know God and he didn't know Jesus. He wasn't part of them by standing by the fire. But when he saw the resurrected Christ and Christ restored him, the resurrection is what changed Peter from a little wimp that wouldn't stand up and probably would be just, I would be just like he was. The resurrection is what changed everything. 
52 days later, Peter's standing before the very people that crucified Christ. And he points his finger at him and he says, This same Jesus whom you crucified is both Savior and Lord. What was the difference? It was the resurrection. That was the difference. He became steadfast until the time that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus Christ was. He was devoted to Christ. And I stand before you and I tell you, it was the resurrection that made all the difference. The second thing we are told here in the scripture, he tells us, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. This word immovable means to be consistent. To be consistent. We need some not fair weather fans of Christianity. We need followers of Christ. We need followers of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should motivate us to be consistent in our walk. Consistent in our service. Consistent in our worship. It should move us to the place where we serve the Lord and we're not easily distracted, we're not easily discouraged, we're not easily disenfranchised. Well, so-and-so didn't like my skirt. Well, so what? I'm sure you don't like someone else's skirt and you probably told your posse about it. We don't use the word click around here, we use posse. All these women have their posses and these men have their posses. And I'm just telling you guys, our world is so messed up. So messed up. We're, we're to, in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now listen to this. But none of these things move me. None of these things are going to keep me from being consistent in what God's called me to do. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, listen, I don't know. I'm being sent to Jerusalem and I know that the Holy Spirit's testified everywhere that when I get there, chains and tribulations await me. But you know what? I'm still going to go. And none of those things move me because He was connected to Christ through the resurrection. What made the difference in Paul's life? Do you know that Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he persecuted the church. He killed Christians, and he enjoyed it. One day on the road to Damascus, he saw the resurrected Christ, and it blinded him. And the Lord spoke to him. Some three days later, the scales fell off and he got his eyesight back. He spent three years studying. And then he went on his mission journeys. Teaching, establishing churches, planning churches. What made the difference 
in the Apostle Paul's life? What brought him from one who persecuted the church, who killed Christians, to now being one of them and training them and discipling them and writing two-thirds of the New Testament? I'll tell you what happened. It was a resurrected Christ without happening. What I'm trying to tell you is everyone in the Bible that came into contact with the resurrected Christ was forever changed. And if we say that we believe in the resurrected Christ, we should be changed as well. We should be growing closer to the Lord. We should be walking more faithfully with Him. We should be serving Him more devotedly because we believe He's alive. Paul knew he was going headed for chains and tribulations, yet he said, none of these things move me. What's it take to move you? What's it take to stop you? Someone offends you? Someone didn't shake your hand? They didn't call on you to pray? They didn't ask you to sing? Are you consistent in your walk with the Lord, or are you up and down like a yo-yo? I have to tell you the honest God's truth. Even as a pastor, I look back on my life, and there are many times when my life looked like a yo-yo. Up and down, up and down, up and down. But the resurrection should motivate us to be immovable. It should motivate us to say the same thing. It should motivate us to say, none of these things move me. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to because of the resurrection of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a battle for the fabric of our morality. And I'm not just talking about politics. I hate politics. I don't preach politics. I'm talking about good versus evil. When in our country, when people are fighting with every ounce of energy they have so that they can, funded by the government, kill unborn babies... When they're fighting and they're saying, that's, that's, what, that's what we've got to do. We've crossed the line, church. And there are many people that are caught up in this and they don't even know what's going on. There are many young girls that are being pressured into these things and they don't know what awaits them 10, 20, 30 years down the road. We're fighting all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. Look around at our children. The devil's after our children. And I'm telling you this. What are we doing? We're arguing over stupid stuff. You see, the resurrection ought to cause us to be immovable. The third thing he tells us is, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I've said this a hundred times in this sermon, and that's a hyperbole, but the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. You know, our hearts should be changed. We shouldn't begrudgingly serve the Lord. We shouldn't serve the Lord out of, uh, well, i got to go to church and i got to do this and the preacher's going to ask me to do something. 
He's going to ask me to work in Awana or go up to the camp and help up there. And, you know, I'm just busy. Got to hurry up and get home and watch Atlanta Housewives or something. And I'm going to say this, and I don't know if you watch or not. <laughs> Bachelorette and all that show. If you watch that, I'm just going to pray for you. That's all I can say. <laughs> I don't know any red-blooded American man's going to, you know, compete with a bunch of other guys. One woman and all these guys. I mean, forget that. And vice versa, girls, if you're that girl that wants to compete with... You know, never mind. It's a rabbit trail. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, we need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. The resurrection changes everything. It changed our heart. The word abound means to exceed a fixed number of measure. Think about this. Do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children? He told the disciples, he said, I want you to go and I want you to gather up all the fragments that none get left over. And in there, they filled 12 baskets and they exceeded the 12 baskets. They were abounding over. You see, that's the way God does things. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we even think. So when he tells us in his word that we need to always be abounding, we need to be doing more than the minimum. Right? Now, if you're an employer and you have employees and your employees do just enough to get by, you would be honest, you'd like to get rid of them and find someone else. The only problem is you can't find anybody else to work, so you have to deal with it today. But the point I'm saying is this. We understand that. I don't want the guy on my team, if I'm coaching basketball, which would never happen because I'm not a basketball player, I'm five foot seven in heels. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> what I'm trying to say is I don't want the guy that says I'm going to score just enough that we win. No. I want the guy that's going to score all the baskets, make my job easier as a coach. Can anybody say amen? amen? And what we need as believers in the church is not people who just want to do the minimum, but people who are steadfast. They are firmly loyal to Christ. They are immovable. They're consistent in their walk and their work of the Lord, and they're always, you know what always means in the Greek? Always. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. They're always wanting to exceed the fixed measure. Jesus says something odd. He tells them, he says, listen, talking to his followers, if they compel you to go a mile, walk two. In the culture, a Roman soldier could take a Jewish citizen and say, I want you to carry my gear. They were allowed to do that for up to one mile. Do you know what Jesus says? Jesus says this. If they compel you to go one mile, you go another mile. You exceed the fixed measure. We need Christians, even in your work, where you work, you need to exceed what all the others are doing. You need to do it for the Lord. Whatever the hand finds to do it, do it heartily as unto the Lord. You say, I hate my job. Well, 
be thankful you got a job. Go ahead and quit. I don't care. I mean, it ain't going to help me. I mean, it ain't hurt me. You just quit, quit your job. But the point I want to make is this. We always have to be abounding. Now, what is he talking about in the work of the Lord? We're talking about the business, the work. Ergon, in the Greek, it means work or business. What's the business of the Lord? The business of the Lord is to make disciples, right? He told us that we should make disciples. Everything we do should have at the heart of it the desire to make disciples. And here's where the church is messed up. The church today is messed up because we think that if we have the right program, we have the right singing, we have the light, right lights and stage and all that, and we appeal to the flesh that people will come in droves. But just because they come in droves doesn't mean anything. You remember Jesus' is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. There are hundreds of people there. Jesus is teaching to the, ser- the Sermon on the Mount. And he teaches in ways that people don't understand. And they go away scratching their head, but the disciples come to him, and then later he tells them what he was teaching them. See, Jesus wasn't teaching the masses. He was teaching his disciples. He was teaching his disciples. And what we have to realize, church, is that just because it's a crowd doesn't make it right. I've said a hundred times. I could get Bon Jovi to come in here and every woman around four, over 40 years old in Sioux County would be here in a heartbeat. But a crowd doesn't mean anything. It's the heart. The heart is what matters. We ought to be growing in the work of the Lord. We ought to be doing more than the minimum. Why? Because of the resurrection. The work the disciples did before Christ's death pales in comparison to the work they did after His resurrection. What made the difference? It was the resurrection. You say, well, all those are are New Testament examples. Give me some examples. You know what? How in the world could Abraham, who prayed and had the promise of God and waited all those years till he was 100 years old for his son to be born, and now God wants him to offer his son up to him. He goes and he takes his son, and they're going up the hill, and the son's like, well, Dad, I, I, see, the, I see the wood, I see the knife and the fire, but I, I, don't see, I don't see the sacrifice. And Isaac said, or Abraham said, the Lord will provide. He gets up on there, he straps his son down, he draws his knife, and the angel of the Lord stops him. And there's a ram caught in the thicket. It's not until Hebrews we found, find out how Abraham could do this. It was by faith, but Abraham believed in the resurrection. That's why. Before Christ was even resurrected, Abraham believed in the resurrection. Job, all that he went through, how did he get through that? And how did he go through all that and not swear and curse God? His wife said, won't you just swear and curse God and die? That's a great help meet, isn't it? Um, But he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him again on earth that day. Job believed in the resurrection. 
Job believed in the resurrection. What I'm trying to get across to you is the resurrection changes everything. Everything. Our hearts, our motivation, our inspiration should come from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love Easter. And it's not because of the Cadbury bunny. It's not because of any of that stuff. It is because of the resurrection. I told this this morning. I'll tell it all the time. I just like to hear myself say it. All creation, you look out and all the trees are starting to bloom and bud and the grass is starting to grow. And we're so eager to cut grass, we can't wait. And a month we'll be like, why did I ever start cutting grass? And, but all of creation is testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. Now, I don't know. If you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to be doing something for Jesus. You ought to be doing something for Jesus. And if you're not, you know, I, I think one day you'll be sorry. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm just here to try to help you. And I'm telling you this. If you believe in the resurrection, you ought to be abounding in the work of the Lord. I had a fellow tell me I was visiting him. He said, I, I'm in a wheelchair. I can't do anything. I said, that, that's not true. You can pray. You can absolutely pray. And where you are, you're in a facility, you can witness. You can share the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with all these people that come and go from your room. There are perhaps some Christians that have never done anything for God. Maybe some in this room. I don't know that. They've never been involved in serving the Lord. If that's you, you're missing so much. You're missing out on so much. I got a text from Joey, and there was a young lady that, 26 years old, that passed away. He picked her up on our church bus. She came to our church camp. You know what? She's in heaven today. You know why? Because some people got together and said, listen, we're going to run buses. And we're going we're to have an Awana program that teaches the gospel. And we're going to have a church camp that preaches and teaches the gospel. And she got saved at one of our camps because someone picked her up on a bus and brought her. Now, I know God does all the saving, but I'm telling you, they will be rewarded for all they did for the cause of Christ. There are 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 13-year-olds, infants dying every day. Every day. And I'm telling you, the resurrection gives us hope. Many times we act like it comes down to doing something for the Lord and the church, that the church is burning them out. I've had people tell me, Man, I'm just burned out. Well, you haven't done anything for the Lord. You're burned out because you're doing everything out there in the world, and you have to come to church on Wednesday night and teach Iwana, and it's everybody else's fault. I mean, it's the Lord's fault. The Lord's putting more on you than you can bear. No, no, the world is. The world is. I, I, I feel like I see more people fizzling out than I do burning out. If we're honest... It's the world that's placing more and more burdens on us. The world's placing so many burdens on people, it's running out of days, so it's taking Sunday and Wednesday. You think about that. The world's running out of days because they've got so much of us, so much of the days filled up that they have to add in Sunday and Wednesday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should, in fact, cause us to want to exceed the minimum for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you serving Him? I would ask you this morning, are you steadfast? Are you firmly loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you immovable? Are you consistent in your walk, in your worship, in your work? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? See, that's what 
Paul saying? When you come to the text and you see therefore, therefore ties in every, the whole argument. And what Paul is saying is the doctrine of the resurrection is not something that we say, oh, it's a wonderful and we're, we're, you know, it's great, we're going to dress up Sunday morning for it. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's something that affects your life every day. Every day of your life. It, it's something that changes you. It's something that motivates you when you don't feel like it. And you don't always feel like serving. You're human. I'm human. I don't always feel like it. But it's what's right. And the resurrection inspires us to do that. And you say, well, well, well what do I get for doing it? What do you get? I mean... Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he was buried and he rose from the grave and he took every sin you'd ever do and what more would you want? A home in heaven sounds pretty good to me. You know, Paul does conclude with a promise. He said, you should know something. The resurrection should solidify something in your heart. And that's this. Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Everything you've ever done for the Lord, He knows. He has not forgotten. He keeps accurate records. It's not useless. It's not wasted. It doesn't go unnoticed by God. You may not get an attaboy here. You may not get a pat on the back here. But you will be honored by the Lord. The more I pastor and the more I spend with people that are dying and they're on their way to meet Jesus soon, they typically have two concerns. These are constant with all believers. Concern number one is they're ready to meet Jesus. Concern number one, I've had these people tell me many different ways, but they mean the same thing. I'm right with the Lord. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home. I'm tired of living this way. I'm ready to go home. And secondly, they tell me this. Their families, they're leaving behind. They're often. Those are the two major concerns of people dying. I've never had one person tell me, I'm asking God to wait till Thursday so I can watch the Reds play. I never had anybody say, I'm asking the Lord to let me live till Sunday so I can go fishing. Never had any of that. I've never, asked, I've never heard someone say, I've asked the Lord to give me one more week of work. I haven't made enough money. I've never heard any of those things. But repeatedly I've heard, I'm ready to meet the Lord. And I've heard, I'm going to miss my family. And I hope they're ready to meet the Lord. Those are the two constant themes over and over and over and over. None of them ever told me they're going to miss the world and the things of the world. No one ever told me, preacher, if I could just make it till this night, the Country Music Awards are on. Never. Listen to me. Believer, all that you do for the Lord, as insignificant as you think it is, it matters. When you stand in a church and you sing songs of worship and you sing them to the Lord for the glory of the Lord, it matters. It's not insignificant. It's not insignificant. The worship time is not a time to spill, 
fill space in the service. It's to prepare our hearts. It's to stop what we're doing and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. This you must know. Your labor is not in vain. When you're steadfast and you're immovable and you're always abounding in the work of the Lord, that is not in vain. God takes note of it. Be firmly loyal to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Be consistent in your walk, in your worship and your work with the Lord. And always, and I added this word, be enthusiastically growing in your service to the Lord. I mean, you ever had somebody do something for you and you felt dirty that they did it for you? Oh, you got yourself in a mess here, going to have to do it again. And you're like, I don't even know if I want your help like that. I mean, <sighs> getting married today. Got to stand up there and tell her I love her again, yet again. <laughs> Told her once, don't she remember? <laughs> I mean, really? I can see it. I've always said this. Officiate, man, I'm standing up here, big old burly, strong guy, nothing, yeah. She comes around the corner there, and he's like, <laughs> tears, my eyes are watering, allergies, allergies, it's winter. Um, but anyways, I can see her coming down the aisle, and she gets up here beside her soon-to-be husband, and they turn, and they give the bouquet off and their joined hands, and I start my rigmarole. And I come to the the uh, the vows, and the husband says, "I'll love you on Sunday, maybe on Wednesday. I might call you on Tuesday if I need something." Well, if you got any kind of brain in your head, woman, you're gonna say, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." No way, buddy. Is that not what we do to Christ? We are the bride of Christ. And we say, we say, well, Lord, I'll give you maybe a Sunday. I'll give you uh, maybe a Wednesday. If things get real bad, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even come and pray. I'll go to the altar. If it's real bad. That is that what the resurrection inspires in us? The resurrection should inspire in us that man, you're first, Lord. And I'm steadfast. I am loyal to you. I'm not moving. I don't care what happens. Yes, I'm going to go through difficulties. Yes, I'm going to go through bad things. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ creates a desire in me that He is first in my life, that He is, I'm, I'm immovable on that, and I'm going to grow in my love and adoration and service for Him. I'm going to do that because I know that my labor is not in vain. And one day I'm going to stand before the resurrected Christ and I'm going to look at Him, the one that died for my sins, every one of my sins, knowing my sins. He died for my sins. And I'm going to look at Him and I'm going to see perfection. And I'm going to see holiness. And I'm going to see the one who died for me. 
And I too, like everyone else who sees the resurrected Christ, will fall prostrate in front of him. And I will cry out, holy, holy, holy. We all have an appointment with death. And we all will stand before him one day. And I tell you this. If you're here today and you have never, you have never been saved, my friend, you are missing out on so much. The worst day of Christianity is better than the best day in the world because every day comes to an end. And joy and pleasure only last for a season. But let me tell you something. I'm telling you this. When you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, I would encourage you today. I would encourage you today, repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. He died on the cross of Calvary. Every sin that you would ever confess, He knows it. Every sin you would ever speak, every sin you would ever do, every sin you would ever think about, He knows it. And he went to the cross for you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to die and go to a literal burning hell. He wants you to be with him in heaven forever and ever. And the resurrection is what makes that possible. The gospel is, according to the scriptures, Jesus died on the cross. According to the scriptures, he was buried And according to the scriptures, he arose from the grave. If you're not saved in just a few moments, I'm going to give an invitation. You can be saved right where you are. If you will but realize you are a sinner, the Bible says that every one of us has sinned. And because of our sin, we deserve to die. The punishment, the penalty, the payment for sin is death. God told Abraham, Abraham, or told Adam, excuse me, Adam, in that day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And guess what? He did, and so did everyone else. And I'm telling you this. It doesn't have to be that way, because the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ died for us. He died on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could have eternal life. And right where you sit today, you can ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and save you, and He will save you. Christian, I'm speaking to you. Has the resurrection really impacted your life? Do you have one foot in the world and one foot in church? Are you extremely loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you devoted to Him more than anything else? Have you come to the point in your walk with the Lord where you are immovable? You can say like the Apostle Paul, none of these things move me. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? May I ask you this? If today were your last day on this earth and you were to meet Jesus face to face, could you in good confidence say, the resurrection changed me? I'm committed to you. I was devoted to you more than anything. I was immovable. I was growing in the work for the Lord. I I was... I'm there. If you can't, doesn't that bother you? 
It bothers me that sometimes in my life I couldn't say that. It bothers me. I'm not perfect. I'm a human like you're a human. And we struggle with these things. But the resurrection makes it possible. You know why? Because you are victorious. The last enemy to be defeated, the Bible tells us, was death. He already, he already dealt the death blow to sin. Sin doesn't have to be your master. And the last enemy to be defeated was death. And he overcame that when he came out of the grave. Has it changed your life? Father, we love you. We bow before you and we ask you.